0: I am joined by the fabulous Jessen James. Now, Jessen James is a psychiatric nurse turned multimillionaire. He is an international public speaker, uh, seven times award-winning. He's the UK public speaking champion. He's a business mentor, and he is now a TV celebrity, having recently starred on Channel 5's Rich House Poor House.
1: What a great intro. It's like, have you been speaking to my (laughs) mum? Filling you in on how amazing her son is. Thank you, I appreciate that. Thank you you for
0: joining me. It's an absolutely inspirational story, so I'm looking forward to getting stuck straight in. Yeah. So, you come from humble beginnings. Yes. Um, Do you want to tell the listeners a little bit more about where you come from and how it all got started?
1: Yeah, no, great. Look, I think... I think for me, a lot of times people say, like, where does where does it where does your success stem from? How did it all begin? All that kind of stuff, and it's very easy to go through sort of your story about you know your journey that you've been on and things. But for me, it stems from childhood. Yeah. And and the reason it stems from childhood is because when I was seven years old, something happened to me that implanted success in my mind, and I didn't actually know it at the time. And okay. that was, I used to get bullied at school for wearing hand-me-down clothes, second-hand mm-hmm. clothes, um, the cheapest of the cheapest trainers you've ever seen. Yeah. Like, uh, and I just used to get bullied for that because my parents could only give me what they could have like, they me. Yeah. I used to wear my brother's hand-me-downs and all sorts. And uh, like, kids, kids can not, they can be cruel at times, and they just used, they didn't know. They were just like laughing at me, bullying me, all kinds of stuff. And what that did for me at the time was subconsciously make me want more. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that makes any sense, I, I, I was I was upset for a long time with my parents. Like like why can't why is everybody else wearing Nike, Air Max, and wearing this, and why why am I wearing this? Like I was upset and I didn't understand. They were doing the best that they could. I mean, mm-hmm. they came from Mauritius to this country with like twenty quid in their pocket and a suitcase. Yeah, do, wow. do you know what I mean? So um, so, but I didn't understand that. But it just made me get fascinated with wanting more. Yeah. And as I grew older, I started my first business when I was eleven years old. Um, I smuggled some, some fireworks into the country from Mauritius. Did uh, you? I did. <laughs> this is
0: why you were selling at school things. I've heard you talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I started off by selling fire. So I got fireworks, um, these little, little little Chinese firecrackers, and I smuggled them in, went, went to my ho- went on holiday with my parents to Mauritius and brought them back. I um, was doing well with selling them. It was going really well. And then some, some kid thought it would be okay to chuck them off the top of a double-decker bus, and uh, he was wearing his uniform at the time so they knew which school it was. Yeah. Um, and then I promptly got found out. So that was a shutdown of my first business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't cool. and and then I I moved on to try and do do sort of more uh, creative stuff I saw that the school had a tuck shop yeah and they used to, I remember they used to sell it out of one of the classroom windows. They used to take out the window and they used to sell, every playtime they used to sell like Twix, Mars bars, all kinds of stuff, whatever. Um, and and I thought, oh, hang on. Like my mum used to buy stuff in bulk at home. She used to buy like crisps and chocolates and drinks and stuff. In bulk. So I used to like steal some of them, and <laughs> pop, them in my, pop them in my school bag. And I used to start selling them in the playground. And then they, they, they realized that sales in the tuck shop were going down. What's happening here? And then why is everyone crowding around Jessen in the playground during, uh, during the breaks? And then uh, that got shut down as well. I'm not painting a good picture of my entrepreneur. Well,
0: well, okay. <laughs> so, 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 so to readdress the balance slightly, yeah. you always loved to help people, didn't you? 100%. And And actually, there was um, there was a boy at your school, and yeah. he used to to come with no sandwiches, and yes. you used to give him your lunch, yes. and every day you used to go home hungry, and your mum yes. couldn't understand it when you were sent to school with the full packed lunch. And yes, yes. Yeah. You, you sort of came clean eventually, didn't you? And your mum started doing extra sandwiches. She, she for did.
1: Him. Yeah. There was a little kid. He was like, it was, was just that. It was just that kid at school who was like a little bit dishevelled. Um, no one really spoke. He was a bit of an oddball. Yeah. Um, no one really spoke to him. And I still, like, till this day, I can't figure it out. Like, how does a kid in this day and age in this country go to school with no food? Yeah. How does that even happen? But. I've just—I've never wanted to see people suffer, and mm-hmm. I just started giving them my sandwiches. And like, so, like you said, I was scared. Like I thought my mum was going to tell me off, you know. So I didn't say anything. And then eventually I came clean. She's like, I got told off for a different reason. I got told off for not telling her yeah. sooner, yeah. so she could give me double sandwiches. And that's what she started to do. But uh, if, if I'm very honest, like I've—I've just—I've always—and um, I, I, I truly—I truly believe you, you, that you're either born with it or you're not. You've got to be born with a compassion for other people. And mm-hmm. I think, like, yes. Obviously, my parents—you know—are are compassionate people too. But I just feel like sometimes, if you, you know, in, in life, you you grow up, you know, around if you've seen pain, if you've seen suffering, you don't—you've uh, been through it yourself—you don't want to see other people go through it. And mm-hmm. and it was interesting because everything I was doing, like whether it was whether it was helping other people, whether it was business, it was always trying to. Um, help others find a solution for something, you know, which, which after those, those couple of businesses at 15, I then thought I'd try something else and I went into uh, mobile phone accessories okay. in school. And um, this is, I learned a valuable lesson in business <laughs> at this age. Um, first of all, I did my first no money down deal. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't know how I did this, but, but back then, I don't know if you remember, do you remember the, the old Nokia phones where you could change the faces yeah. on them and stuff and things like that? Um, I, I went into this mobile phone shop in, in East Ham High Street in East London and I walked into the shop and I somehow blagged the guy to give me these accessories and, I, and I'll go and sell them and bring him the money back. So th- he gave me a bag full of these accessories. I went to school. I sold all of them. I brought the money back to him and he gave me peanuts. Mm. He gave me peanuts back. And and I was upset. I was like, I just went out and sold all these things for you, and you've given me hardly anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I didn't learn this at that age. But later on, when I reflected on why, why did I only get paid a little bit of money? Mm. Um I realized that he or she who brings the most value to equation gets paid the most. Yeah. It was his shot. Yeah. He took the risk. It was his stock. He took the risk. It was his money that he paid... To put in, into that stock he took the risk he gave it to a kid who he that didn't even know at a risk of never seeing me again he took most of the risk so he gets paid the most so so it made me realize afterwards that you know if we get paid depending on how much value we add to this world you
0: know that's a really interesting point because i definitely think at the moment we're in a society where there, there's quite a lot of um, of expectations isn't yeah. there and, and um that disconnect is I think quite glaring at the moment in terms of the value that people bring yeah. and, and that sort of almost sense of entitlement.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, oh, I've, it, it does grate me now, like because because I, I, I get you're talking to a kid who who was you know didn't have but so thought let me try and make for myself. Yeah. you know, and you know I've been I've also not just been entrepreneurial like I got my first job when I was 15 years old, like working as a waiter in in a, in a Grosvenor Hotel in London. And, and it's because I wanted a mobile phone and my dad wouldn't let me have a mobile phone. And he said, I'm not giving you the money for it. So I said, well, I'll go and make my money myself. And then my godfather, God, God rest his soul, he's no longer here with us. My uncle Frank, he said, well, it's all right, son, you go and get the phone, I'll put it on my name. So I managed to get the phone, but I always had this earn it mentality. Um, and even as an employee, I never went to my employer, well, I want to pay rise. I, 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 I would go out and show them what I was capable of, mm-hmm. produce results and then ask. Nowadays you're seeing people ask before they've produced and it's like the entitlement mentality is just, it's it's mad nowadays, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. So you were full of the entrepreneurial spirit but you were brought up very much within the the conventional wisdom Mm. um, of society as most of us are. You were encouraged to, you know, you you get good grades, you go to uni, you get a job, which is exactly what you did. Uh, You went off and trained as a a, a mental health nurse. and um, (laughs) So obviously your passion for helping people came Mm. out you then took the next logical step. You qualified and set up a luxury bathroom business.
1: Yes, which promptly fell on its backside. <laughs> um, it was
0: oh, the in... mi- minus sixty-five k. Oh,
1: yeah, three months, I lost. It? I lost. Yeah, my, I made minus sixty-five grand in, in three months. It, it was a, a humbling experience. But yeah. I, I, I did think I did exactly what you said. I listened to my parents, and I, I went and studied, um, and I got into nurse. I actually got into nursing, um, not because of the money. Um, clearly mm-hmm. nurses i don't believe i believe nurses don't get paid enough for what they do mm-hmm. um i got into nursing because i care mm-hmm. I, I, I i just i just care about people and 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 eventually um i got into that profession but just as i qualified as a nurse i thought do you know what I had this fire in my belly for entrepreneurship. Let me give it one more shot. Let's see how it goes. And and I started this Thailand bathroom um, warehouse with a showroom and everything. And literally within three months, I was bust. It was gone. It was finished. <laughs> like sixty-five grand down the pan. Um, and and it just it taught me some valuable lessons. And and I think if anybody's listening, like like you've, you've, for me, my biggest piece of advice for anyone getting into business is, is use what you already know. Yeah. What do you already know? Like, what are your gifts? What are your talents? What skills do you have right now? Maybe you're working for someone and doing it for somebody else. Could you transfer that and do it for yourself? And if you think about the irony of it, what the heck was a 24-year-old nurse doing opening a bathroom shop? What skills do I have in that industry? None. So so it's very difficult at times when I see people wanting to get into businesses and they're they're trying to use stuff that they don't know about. Like, like just use what you already know. Like, Because now you're taking what you already know all you need to learn now is how to run a business. Yeah. But if you don't know something, now you've got to learn how to do that and then learn how to run a business. So there's two hurdles to jump. So just use what you already know. Yeah, it just, it just, um, it was a humbling time. Let's put it that way.
0: Or what was it your dad said Yeah, It takes a, a certain kind of stupid to do <laughs> what takes, you've done, son.
1: <laughs> it takes a special kind of stupid to lose that kind of money, son. So, uh, you know, go back and do what I told you to do, which is, which is you know, get, get a good education and get a good job. And that's yeah. what most of us conditioned to. And I did, I went back, licked my wounds and, When I got a job. And then um, I I worked in the private sector, Mm -hmm. which is um, different to the NHS. Uh, it's a business at the end of the day so in the private sector you climb the ranks really really quickly yeah um and so I climbed up to ward manager level I I, I actually became the youngest ward manager in the UK at 27 years old Brilliant. which was great and I and I worked with I managed a ward of uh, females with borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. which like 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 their minds just fascinated me I've always had a deep deep fascination with psychiatry and psychology and how Mm -hmm. people's brains work and um I loved working there but what happens is when you become a ward manager in the private sector, you, you end up getting given sales targets. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a nurse with sales targets, but you know, congratulations, you just met your first one. <laughs> um, but for, for me, I was given sales targets to go and sell beds to the National Health Service. Yeah. So I made my employer six and a half million pounds in two years selling wow. beds to the NHS. And uh, and then in the, the last recession, you know, the 2008-2009 crunch, whatever you want to call it, credit crunch, blah, 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 um, yeah, they, they realized it was cheaper to, to let me go and replace me with somebody else. And just like that, my job was, was taken away from me. Now, I don't know if your listeners can relate to this, but, you know, it, it was like being stabbed in the back, being betrayed. Yeah. Like, you know, when you give your all to someone or something yeah. and b- bearing in mind, I was still Um, an entrepreneur but I was being intrapreneurial within somebody else's organization so I busted my gut for that organization I did everything I could I mean to drive six and a half million pounds in sales in like just just me as a ward manager uh, you know it took a lot of effort I was working extra hours doing all kinds of stuff and I felt massively betrayed massively betrayed but I learned a really important lesson that day and I'd love your listeners to kind of you know take note of this because it will serve them well Um, and that is nothing in life is secure unless you secure
0: Hey guys, it's Ellie and I'm super excited to share that I'm partnering up with one of my favorite brands, AG1 by Athletic Green. I'm asked all the time about the one thing that I do to take care of my health and in reality, there's so many to choose from. But if I could only pick one, it would be Athletic Greens because it ticks so many boxes. Life can get pretty hectic. As a busy mum of three, I know firsthand how easy it is to let your nutrition slip especially when you're always on the go or travelling. It's easy to neglect the thing that's the most important to us, and that's our health. Since I started taking AG1, it's been a game changer. My energy levels have been through the roof, my hair and skin feel amazing, my digestion's improved, and I'm even sleeping better. It's a real deal. The ingredients are sourced from the highest quality producers from around the world. But what I love most about it is that all my nutritional bases are covered with one scoop. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and probiotics, which means it's replaced a ton of other supplements that was previously taken. It's my secret weapon. It helps me show up as the best version of myself every single day, all from adding one simple habit. But don't just take my word for it. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. Check it out.
1: For yourself, you know, um, because I, when I reflect on it, I, you know, I gave my, I gave my employer permission to fire me when I signed a contract of employment. Yes. If you think about that, now it might sound crazy. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't. It wasn't nice. You know, I was sitting in the car park when she fired me, thinking, you know, if she comes out, I'm gonna run her over. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but what I mean is, is that if I saw her again today, I'd give her the biggest hug ever because she actually, like, she blessed me in, in in a funny way because I wouldn't be here today. But sometimes things are happening to us and we don't understand. The, the, the good in it yeah you know and and for me that day she let me go um it was good because i realized that you know i've got to secure my future i've got to take responsibility yes. for my success it's not anybody else's if i if i was hoping to climb up the ranks in that company and it didn't work out that was on me not them you know so yeah
0: how did you find as someone that clearly had a, a passion for helping people? How did you find having such strict targets? Mm. Did that take you away from your your purpose, from helping the women?
1: Yeah, you know what? What a great question because I've, I've um, I did it, it. It did it did. I, it, this is why I ended up working extra hours because um, I used to call them my ladies, my ladies, um, because they they loved they loved working with me because um, because of the way I interacted with them. One of the things that I proud I was proud of when I was a nurse was I treat people like people. Mm-hmm. Like I I used to get into disputes with colleagues and especially in in the mental health world. Look, one in four people have a mental illness. Let's just like just put that out there. One in four people have a mental illness. It can happen to anybody. And we I I used to nurse doctors. I used to nurse psychiatrists. I used to nurse all business owners. Like people from all walks of life it can happen to anyone in a heartbeat and they're human at the end of the day these are people that had jobs have families have all sorts and then they get put onto a psychiatric ward and they get treated like crap like Mm -hmm. like, I didn't like that so I used to treat people like humans and I I was like the worst psychiatric nurse ever by the way because I didn't believe in drugs I'll be like like no don't care doctor you prescribed it I'm not giving it not having it let me talk to them first and I used to believe in talking to people yes and um, so, so for me, when I went into management, being given sales targets and essentially having to be more business-driven, um, I missed that interaction with, with, with the patients and stuff. So I used to stay extra hours and I used to like, still interact with them. And they, they didn't understand because all the other ward managers were like, you still take patients out on leave and you still go out with them. Like, no, you're supposed to be in the office. I'm like, well, no, that's what you want to do. I, I still want to interact with, with the patients. So I, used to do, I still used to get, get stuck in, if that makes any sense, because I, I did actually care about their their future their health their results so so yes it is it is hard um but i'm, I'm grateful now because again that taught me lessons um it makes you think doesn't it because a lot of people in business they they they, they treat revenue over relationships and uh-huh. i think you should go revenue relationships over revenue right
0: it's so interesting because one of our company values is people yeah. over profit
1: yeah yeah no 100 percent like like you've got, if you can look, look, business is about how you make people feel. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you charge. You could be charging more than the next person. You make someone feel good and you show them that you care, then, then great. Because at the end of the day, especially like uh, now, now I teach people, I do training and stuff and things like that. But nobody cares how much you know until you show them how much you care. Yes. And, and that's, that's the key thing here. I see people with some, some great products and great knowledge and stuff, but they actually don't care about people. Mm-hmm and they're wondering why they're not getting any sales, it's because, look, people want to be feel, they want to feel special. And I, and I don't think, like, just because you're successful that you should be a bad person. You know, you should go out there and just, just be a good person and make this world a better place.
0: Oh, my God, I absolutely love that. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you, uh, as a psychiatric nurse, and as a manager, you don't agree with the medication, which I'm quite fascinated with. <laughs> can we just take a bit of a, a deep dive into that? Yeah, please?
1: yeah, of course you can. Look, I... This might be a bit controversial, on, but I, I I don't think people have mental illnesses. I think they do mental illnesses. Now, yeah. what does that mean? Let's take depression for example. Um, as a nurse, as a psychiatrist, yeah, there's a there's a diagnostical manual, it's a DSM five, um, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, that basically, if a psychiatrist, let's say you go and visit a psychiatrist now, they'd flip that open, and let's say you were depressed, that they'd, they'd go through these these tick boxes of um, signs and symptoms of depression so they'll Mm go um lacking sleep yep lacking appetite yep um uh, socially recluse yep uh not getting out of bed yep uh not wanting to interact with anybody yep and they Mm -hmm. keep going through all these checklists basically what that checklist is uh is 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 an instruction manual on how to do depression okay so what does that presuppose it presupposes you can also do happy Mm -hmm if you've got the right tick boxes and the right instructions. Mm-hmm. So, so for me, when people say, I am depressed, you're not depressed, you're doing depression. There's a, there's a difference. It's a behavior. And what, how do I know that? Because you're not depressed 24-7. Mm-hmm. And people say, no, I am depressed 24-7. So while you're asleep, you're depressed as well. I don't know exactly, because you can't physically be depressed while you're asleep. And for most people, there's, there's different levels of depression, clearly. Some people are quite functional with their depression. In fact, a lot of people, like one in 10 people have a depressive illness and they don't know they've even got it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's people out there with, with functional depression. So they're going out working, still holding up a job, looking after their kids, putting on a brave face, smiling, all that kind of stuff. And then they come home and then they act depressed. So what was going on when you were in front of somebody else? You were acting happy. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? It's behavior. Yeah. So so and I get some people go, but no, but it's chemical imbalances in the brain there's all this kind of stuff and blah, blah, blah. But look, it, it, at the end of the day, it, if we can learn to, to shift our behavior around how we are shifting our physiology, even like, like even if, like if, if you're feeling depressed, most of us tend to slouch over and all that kind of stuff. It's all behavioral stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, so for, and so and this is why, you know, when you're saying about me not being the, the best of psychiatric nurses, not wanting to give out drugs is because I understood that if I can talk to people and find out what's going on with them. Maybe I can give them some better advice because maybe there's something going. Maybe they just don't know how to process their emotions, process their feelings. And and because of that, they're starting to feel even worse. Like classic example, I worked on a ward where sadly some of the ladies used to self-harm and stuff yeah. because they used to think of um, people who'd abused them in the past. And I used to walk past some of their rooms sometimes and they're playing certain songs that would anchor depressive moods. Mm-hmm to make them feel even worse than what they are. So like yeah. some of them used to play like that that song by um, Kelly Clarkson, Because of You. Like because of you, I can't walk too far from the sidewalk because of you, I can't... and who, who's because, who's you? The person who abused them. So they start. So, so I used to like, get that record off, you're not listening to that. Um, because I want you to listen to something else instead. Because if I can shift your focus, I can shift your behavior. If I can shift your behavior, I'll make you feel better. Um, and that's how I worked. And that's why I didn't, re- I wasn't a big fan of, of drugs. I still, I still am not a big fan of drugs. I don't, I don't, I don't think they, I think they actually make things worse.
0: Did you have any particular techniques for your patients that were suicidal or?
1: Shift focus. Yeah. Shift focus all day long. Um, get, get agreement as well. Like for, for me, um, again, one of the things that I, I, I'm, I saw a lot of is is power struggle between mm-hmm. nurses and patients. So you see, for example, um, I'm the nurse, I'm in charge, you're self-harming, I know what to do, I can, I can help you, that's it. If you're not going to listen to me, I'm going to drug you up. Like, come on, that's like mm. a, you don't need to tell them you're in charge, they know you're bloody in charge, you're the nurse, right? Mm. So you don't need to throw that in their face. So, so for me, it's always about agreeing, because if I can agree with them on how they're feeling, I diffuse the situation, because they're expecting a, a battle. So if they're saying that i'm feeling down and this person done this and i'm feeling like this blah blah blah. i just agree with them i say you know if i was you i'd be feeling the same
0: mm-hmm.
1: i get it i absolutely get it and and then i'd work on reframing how they're feeling and looking at how i can shift their focus instead and and i didn't know i was doing it at the time but what i was doing was actually nlp like neuro-linguistic programming i didn't i mean I'm, i've trained in it now but I, I i didn't know i was doing it at the time and i, I and i feel like like now i know what i'm doing it's even better but back then i was just i was just being human i was just looking at how can i shift their focus cuz you get what you focus on at the end of the day yeah. you know so definitely like if, if anyone feeling like that in any way or form it's about shifting your focus and and the other thing i say as well cuz i it's a bit of a bugbear for me i see people sometimes when they they say look if you're feeling down Um, just reach out who the hell is going to reach out when they're feeling down Like no one's going to reach out so rather than wait for people to reach out to you why can't you be the person who actually reaches out to them instead just checking on them like look I know you're not feeling great at the moment and I get you're probably not going to reach out to me but just to let you know I'm going to be checking in on you every now and then and just reach out to them instead you know when they're ready they'll they'll respond but if you just wait on people to reach out to you It's not going to
0: happen. The other thing I've heard you say in the past, which I really resonate with, is acknowledging when people are feeling low or they are feeling rock bottom, Mm. because there's a lot of focus on changing your state, Mm. you know, and and sometimes that's not the most appropriate advice. Sometimes you need to process those emotions. You need to take a deep dive. You need to to, to get drunk. You need to have a cry. You need to do what you need to do. And then you need to look at what you can do to move yourself from that. That's right. But most of my learnings have have came from the dark times. Mm, mm. And when people just say, you know, you can just just go for a run, just change your state.
1: It doesn't happen overnight. It's a bit patronising. It's it's like, it's annoying because then you feel like you're not being listened. Are you not hearing me? Are you not listening? I don't feel like doing that, you know. So so I always say to people, look, we're humans and um, we have emotions for a reason. Mm -hmm. They're there to be felt and processed not blunted out or or, or just just ignored like so so some people try and teach you to numb out of your pain numb out of your sadness numb numb out of your guilt look emotions are beautiful things because they can they can help us be more functional like look I know some people say but oh like when you know nothing good comes out of feeling guilty well no actually if you feel guilty about something it might prompt you to not do it again yeah you know so but if you never felt guilt, you'd be running around like this narcissist, right? You wouldn't care about anyone. Yeah. Right. So so they they're good. The key is, is just not to stay there. Yes. If you're angry, it's good. Get angry. It's absolutely fine. Just don't stay there. Mm-hmm. If you're feeling down, it's good. Feel it, experience it, but don't stay there. And and as long as we understand that it's okay to give ourselves permission, like you said, to, to go out and, you know, well, I don't know, go out on a bender, do whatever you want. I don't I don't care. Just get it out of your system. Yeah. It's when it becomes habitual that now you're gonna go, you know what? That's taking it too far, you know. So, so sometimes we just need a friend to say, like, "Hey, Ellie, look, look, I get it. You've been down for days now, and I've left you to it because I know you need that. I'm just encouraging you to have a think about how you'd feel if you stopped doing that." I
0: yeah. love that because it's real chat, and I think sometimes the rhetoric from the personal development world can mm. almost be counterproductive because if you're not doing that, you can feel like you're failing. But I, I, I've also heard you speak about uh, your own depression following yep. being sacked yep. You know, you you were completely blindsided with it. Um, I've heard you speak uh, openly about the breakdown of your marriage and the issues surrounding that. How did you get yourself out of that sort of poor mental state? And did you find it almost had a detrimental effect, Mm. the fact that you had so much knowledge around mental health when you were experiencing it yourself? Did you feel like you ought to know better?
1: Yeah. I love that question. And it's true. Like, like when I went for my divorce, I, I was, I was borderline depressed for about six months. I'm like, i literally, I was, I was flawed. I felt like a failure. I'd lost my identity as a husband, as a father. I felt I let my kids down I let everybody down. Look at me. I've made all this money, but I'm a failure. It's, like, it's just, it was, it was a horrible place to be. And I, and, and it's funny because you know this is why i say every, even a mentor needs a mentor right mm-hmm. like we you know we, we just when you're going through something you're having a very subjective experience mm-hmm. which basically means you don't see the 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 uh, the solution that's why i can go along and say ellie look i'm in this situation can you give me some advice and you'll be able to cuz you're you're objective mm-hmm. you see what i don't see mm-hmm. and then you give me that advice and i'm like ah oh. I knew that. Why didn't I do it in the first place? It's because when you're having that problem yourself, you're inside the problem. Therefore, you don't see the solution. Where does the solution exist outside of that problem? But we don't see it because we're in it. Yeah. So I was in it, and it was hard. And and it, it, it it's like you say, like, like uh, with all of my knowledge, I was like, how? Uh, why am I even thinking this? Like, why am I doing the depression? Why am I going through this? And but I gave myself permission to experience that and not be hard on myself because, you know, it, it. nobody says to you it's OK. Yes. You know, it's like when someone's crying. What is what's the default? Oh, don't cry. No, let them cry. It's absolutely yeah. fine. To don't cry. It's not. It's OK to cry. Like when you tell kids, don't cry. Big kids, don't cry. Big boys, don't cry. What are you telling them? Like, you, it's OK. Just don't stay there. Right. So. So for me, when I was going through that, the the, the wake up call for me probably wasn't. Um, it, it wasn't to do with the fact that I knew I needed to be better. The wake-up call for me um, pretty much came because I, I I was also made to feel like I was a bad person, okay. Um, because of my failure, because my marriage had broken down, and you know, um, back then I'm I'm good with my my boys. Mum, now we're all good, but back then, obviously, there's animosity and there's all kinds of stuff, and things were said about me, and I started to believe them, and it was, and I just I really just felt like a bad person. Um, but then I knew I'm not, because I've always, I've always cared about people, I've always put people first and I thought, well, for a change I need to put myself first. Mm. So one of the things that really massively picked me up is that I'd, I'd not long trained as a speaker. Um, and I knew that when I'm on stage and I'm pouring into other people, um, uh, hopefully that gives me a level of know, significance, purpose, makes me feel a bit more like, like I'm not a waste of space. Um, so I just got back on stage. Wow. I just started getting back on stage. People didn't know, 2016, I was on stage. I was depressed. Wow. People didn't know it. But when I was on stage, it's almost in that moment. I was like, I'm not here for me.
0: I've heard you say this before, and as someone who um, I do do public speaking, yeah, yeah. but I still get the nerves. Yeah. And I've heard you say something which has actually really helped shift my focus. Mm. Because whilst I'm thinking, "Oh God, I hope I don't fuck this up," yeah, yeah, or what yeah. "If I fall over as I'm walking on," the stage, yeah, yeah. I'm making it all about me. Yes, I'm not making it about the audience. Them. I'm not yeah. making it about the listener. And that, I mean, there's just so much power in that.
1: Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. It's not about us. Like if you're on stage, if you're speaking, it's not about you. It's like when I get announced on stage, a lot of times uh, promoters are like, "Like, yeah, we want to announce your achievements. We want to cha- announce what you've done. What you, and I'm like, I don't want you to announce me like that. I want you to announce me as this is what they are going to learn from the next speaker because it's mm-hmm. about them. And, and it is. It's literally. So when I was on stage going through this whole depression, I didn't feel depressed at all on stage because I wasn't there for me. I was like, like my, my my go my default before I go on stage at any event, whether there's ten people in a room or ten thousand people in a room is is how can I serve them today? What do they need? Yeah. That's it. Oh. And that shifts my focus entirely on to the audience. Because if you make it about you, you start to go inside your head. If you're inside your head, you mince your words, you forget what to say, you get stressed out, it comes out in your body language, yeah. and, it, and it just it doesn't work out. So so for me, going back on stage, um having people thank me after events, having people um, you know, g- you know, express gratitude to yeah. me, um, go off, not just, not just from the talk, but then go off and implement what mm-hmm. I was teaching and get results, it gave me that validation again that I wasn't a piece of shit, that I wasn't a failure, that I wasn't crap, that I did have a purpose in this world. And then slowly but surely I started to build up that resilience again of, of again, changing my behavior and not doing depression and doing more of this stuff, and and eventually it, it helped pull me out of a dark place. Yeah.
0: I think it's important to mention as well that uh, you know after you left the private sector, you're, uh, you you talked earlier about doing something that you know which you did you set up the healthcare business yes. and you literally quadrupled it within 2 years. Yeah, so yeah. Then, you know it it's something I firmly believe in and I know that you do too mm. that success is about so much more than money in the bank. Oh, yeah. People can see you've got the the perfect life. Yeah. You've got the, the big house and yeah, flashy yeah, 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 cars yeah. but if the foundations aren't right, you know you're you're building on sand.
1: Oh, oh 100%. And like I don't get me wrong, I like nice cars, I like nice stuff, I like nice things but I I never I don't talk about it. I don't, like, you, you, you won't, you go into my social media right now. You don't, yeah, you know, I don't pose in my car. I don't do I, I've got no interest in it. Not, not because I, don't, I love nice things. I'm not knocking people who've got nice things. I just think that the su- success isn't about the amount of the number of pounds you've got in the bank or the numbers you've got in the bank. Success is about the number of lives you've touched, mm-hmm. that, in my opinion. And because I think if the more lives you touch, the money will come. That's a, that's a, that's a side effect, that's a byproduct you know and i and i and i often joke around with people and tell them look when i when i go out and i serve people i'm just recruiting for my funeral <laughs> <laughs> i'm looking for people to show up and say you know what he had a positive impact on my life that's all cuz for me um, that's that's the ripple effect like like if you if you can leave this world with maximum impact then you know you made a difference if you can leave this world in a better place now than what it was when you came into it then you you know you've you've had you've led, led a life of impact and i think that by default and and i say this like I don't want to say I say this like with with cockiness, but I say this with absolute confidence and certainty that I know I pour so much into other people that I'll never be broke.
0: Oh, wow. Never I, be broke. I love that. And something, I think this is probably the reason I gravitated towards you and mm. your message, because sadly the wealth creation space um, is full of, not full of, but there are certainly uh, a few sharks, a few unscru- unscrupulous characters who yeah. take advantage of yep. vulnerable people. Yeah.
1: I think uh, I've I've been stung before myself.
0: Oh, have you? That's yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't forget, in the great scheme of things, I'm relatively new to the circuit. If you think about it, like I, I only I, I was going to events back in 2013, 2014, and then I started seeing people on stages and. Think, oh, I can do that. And I used to buy courses and programs and stuff. I'm thinking, but hang on, what they said on stage and what I'm getting is two different things. Um and I noticed that but I could afford to to use that money. Then I started seeing people getting stung, like people who were remortgaging houses, taking out loans, like relationships breaking down, all kinds of stuff, because they, they got duped basically. Mm-hmm. Um but then rather than Bitch and moan and be part of the problem. I thought, let me become, become part of the solution. Let me go on that stage. Let me let me go and sell with integrity and authenticity because that's what the marketplace was missing, um, and that's what makes me different around anyone. Anyone when I go on these stages is is, is that I, I I don't just. Offer people stuff. I I back it up because I think it's it's really important to do that because my brand, my my integrity is worth more to me than any kind of any amount of money. Mm-hmm. And if you can put people first, then the money comes afterwards. It's it's it, it's irrelevant. So you're absolutely right when you say that. There, you know, obviously not everybody, but. It is very. It is important that people do their due diligence in this space. Like, who are you are yeah. going to hang out with? And it doesn't matter how many flash cars they show you and how much money they show you. And whatever, that's that's irrelevant because I've learned from some people who don't have that stuff, and they they teach way better than the people who've got that stuff. So it's not about how many fast cars you've got and how much does the person actually care and does their stuff actually work? You know, and that's what you got to look at. And I think if more people can be like that, then the industry wouldn't get such a bad name because it's it started off as the self help. Um, industry right that's what they call it the self-help and now mm-hmm. I think it's turned into the bloody help self industry right? and like <laughs> <I love that. laughs> people are helping themselves you know so it's like um, yeah, I, I think I think we just need to flip it back to what it started out for you know as you know so so we can help people instead
0: Absolutely love that, and apparently you talked about with, with public speaking. It's mm. um, it's a craft, isn't it? You've got to go master your art. And yeah. for the first twelve months, you actually went travelling internationally, Singapore, <laughs> Mauritius. Yeah. I heard you saying that the Mauritians are the toughest audience.
1: Oh gosh, yeah, there was like, like I love them to bits, like they're my people. I, I, but like their their mindset really holds them back at times. They're always oh. looking for the catch in something, like you know, looking for the catch, and you know, you know, yeah, you trying to trick me. Are you trying to do am Trying that and it's hard to work with people like that because they you know they they don't see beyond anything it's like like everything is like yeah, it's it's not so much everything's negative but like you show them an opportunity and they will look for how they can talk themselves out of that opportunity and it's really it's sad because there's a lot of talent back home there's a lot of people that've got talent and stuff and it's not not everyone's like that but you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with yeah. right and if if you are positive and but the rest of your family's negative eventually it's going to rub off on you and it's just a vicious cycle really so yeah
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Your very first speaking gig, you Mm -hmm. had a a bit of a special guest, didn't you?
1: I did. (laughs) So I ran my first event in Mauritius and um, there was about 100 people there. I got my PA to send the president, the then president of Mauritius uh, uh, an invite. Um, Didn't think she'd turn up, but we sent it with a nice official envelope with a wax stamp on it and all all nice and things. Um, She never replied. She didn't didn't think she was turning up. I oh, well, that doesn't matter. Um, And literally half an hour before the event starts, like this these limos turn up with bodyguards and all sorts. They jump out. They come. They, they came into the events room. They were looking under the stage and like just obviously start checking out for any risks or anything like that. But I was like, "What's, what's going on? Is there a, a terror alert in the hotel? What's happening?" And I said, "Oh no, no the president's here." And so she turned up um, and she, expecting to talk. I didn't actually have her in my and when you're running an event like you you run it like with a schedule and I was like she's not on the syntax to talk what what do you mean she's talking she's that she wants to give a talk so when a president says she wants to talk, (laughs) talk so she gave a keynote at my presentation and then she um after the event, she had a, uh, had a had a had a you know private private chat with me, um, and there was me thinking she's going to start giving me some advice or whatever. And funny she started asking my advice, yeah, <laughs> on entrepreneurship in uh, in Mauritius, and then uh, commissioned me to go and um, give give the Mauritian government some advice uh, and their business university as well, which is really really cool. And um, I, I just thought I just thought it was fascinating because I you know it's just like this kid who came from East London and came over to there and um, did all that stuff, and and it, it really it was it was a good good wake up call for me. Because it, was, it wasn't long after that event that I um, split up with my, uh, my my ex-wife. So at that point, um, you know, I, it, it was a wake-up call for me that, you know, people valued my my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went through that bout, which kind of put me back down again. And I thought, hang on a I minute, mean, I, am, I am not worthless. I can do something. And it kind of picked me back up again. But doing that event and speaking to her and actually getting... You know, offered to consult the Mauritian government. That was, that was huge.
0: She actually offered, like, she, she was wanting to recruit your services uh, after that, but you, yes. did, you declined, didn't you? <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah she, she offered to introduce me to 10 other African countries that Mauritius is affiliated with to go and consult their governments and do stuff or whatever. And I said no. And people think I'm mad for doing that, but I, I did that because of my value of freedom. It's really strong. Um, If I was doing that, running around, jumping from from country to country to country to country, I wouldn't see my family. I I wouldn't be able to do the things I want to do. It'd feel like a job, and I was like, it just wasn't for me. Uh, which he respected, but um, but I think most people thought I was crazy. But but I think it's important to know your values. I think yeah. I think a lot of people don't don't know their values. And like you know this, Ellie. Like people go to events and they come to this thing and they go. They want to be free. They want to be financially free, spiritually free, emotionally free. Everybody wants freedom, but their value of security is stronger than their value of freedom. Mm-hmm. So for example, someone who's in a job they don't like says, "Oh, I really want to start my business so I can be free." But they stay in that job they don't like and the reason they do that is because they value safety over freedom mm-hmm. so that's more important than freedom so they'll do everything to stay safe and not be free and you and i both know as entrepreneurs you've got to do some things that will make you feel a little bit unsafe at times in order to get that freedom mm-hmm. because freedom is really really important to you so if you can shift the balance of making your value of freedom stronger than your value of security then you will achieve freedom so for me i know my value so that's why i was able to say no
0: Oh, wow, absolutely love that. Well, growth doesn't come from comfort.
1: Not so at
0: so. all. You mentioned spirituality there. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's important to you?
1: Yeah, do you know, I, I grew up, um, I, I, was, I was raised a Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. It's quite an eclectic religion in my family. There's Hindus, there's Muslims, there's, you know, there's Catholics, there's Christians, there's all sorts. Um, and and I, I went to a strict, you know, Catholic all boys school and everything like that. And. I'd say over the years, and I was, I was quite religious. I used to go to church a lot, used to do all that kind of stuff. And I think over the years I've become more spiritual Mm -hmm. uh, in a sense that um, I I believe everything happens the way it's meant to happen. Um, um, And having gone through tough times myself, I I, I genuinely believe everything is beautiful just the way it is. Mm. Whatever you're going through right now, anything, it's it's all part of the mission, it's all part of the plan. Um, And and if we can get to understand that, then even better. And, uh, and And that's why I... I just, I just believe in doing good things. Like earlier on, I said to you that I, I, I'm, I genuinely feel because of the amount I pour into people that I'll never be broke. And what I mean by that, I'm not just talking about money. Um, and I, and I, I, I do it when I'm on stage. Sometimes I'm on stage with people who've never met me before. I pour so much into them in just like a 60, 90-minute talk that I've asked them at the end of it. And I said, look, you guys don't even know me that well yet, but I bet you this. Because you know what kind of person I am, if I fell flat on my backside tomorrow and needed help and I reached out to you, you'd be willing to help me, wouldn't you? And they all say yes. Mm. And, And that's just people I've just met. Now, think about all the people that I've been working with over the years, all of my friends, all my contacts, all the people that I've helped, all that kind of stuff. That's what I, I, I've built so much relational currency over the years that I, I'm literally bulletproof. I know I could fall on my ass tomorrow, but I'd be fine. I'd be absolutely fine. And and for me, that's because of good karma, good energy, just putting good stuff out there. And if you, if we can all do that a bit more and detach from the outcome, because, you know, sometimes, sometimes people give to receive. Yes. Like they're giving with expectations. Um Look, if you can give with no expectations, you actually will receive more. And it's just getting people to to understand that. And and people don't get it. Because when they want money, they want success. They're like, what's your reason for success? And like, give. And they're like, what do you mean give? I need.
0: (laughs) Relationships are the highest form of currency. I say it every single day. But I really don't think many people truly grasp that at at a deep level. I had um, a bit of a a strange experience. I went to a a Tony Robbins event a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. on your power Within and my, my intentions will be completely transparent my intentions at the time I got the, the top level tickets I went with my, my coaches I think mentors uh, Paul and Billy that you know and yes, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Uh, encouraged me to get the front row tickets because the people that are investing thousands of pounds in personal development yeah, yeah. Um, they, they're, they're going to have capital and potentially they could come and invest I'm a property investor invest in my property deal so I thought well oh, this is great I like the year about the mindset that's a little bonus yeah. and, and off I went and day one it was all this like hugging each other high-fiving <laughs> tell the person next to you why you love them and I'm just thinking oh my god I'm WhatsApping my husband going, what the what fuck am I doing, I doing here? here? <laughs> like, this isn't for me. This is like, woo-woo, we, we ha- we, we happy, clappy, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. and, and by day four, I'm like hugging everyone, I'm high-fiving <laughs> I was completely broken. But, but something really profound kind of happened to me within that four-day event. And it made me realize that when I am, um, it, it's kind of like you were saying about the analogy about, when you're speaking, making sure it's about the audience. Yes. If I was speaking to a potential client or someone that would be my my avatar Mm. potentially for a property investment deal, I would find myself... Somebody mentioned you're a barrister. I, I was almost not listening to what they were saying from that point because I was thinking how I could, how can I, use what, what, the, yeah, how can I yeah, get what I want yeah, from this situation? Yeah, yeah. And after that event, my whole mindset flipped mm. and it was how can I serve people? Yes. It was all about relationships. It. It's what I can do for others. And, you know, call it spiritual, call it the universe, call it what you will, but that's when the floodgates opened for it us changes. in terms of raising yeah. finance. Yeah. And it's that whole thing about giving without expectation.
1: 100%. 100%. And, and, that's, and that's trying to, Teach that to someone, and getting them to understand it is—it's difficult because most people are seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. Like, if I I'll believe it when I see it, that's what people say. Yeah. Like, like Ellie, what do you mean you give to people, and 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 then eventually they'll they'll give you back? Like, no, I want to know if I'm going to get it now. Like, so they want to—they want it now, but. Uh, entrepreneurial people we we are believing is seeing people Mm -hmm. we believe in something and we see it so i believe in pouring into you because i can actually see myself getting back at some point down the line yeah and it that that's a different mentality but not everyone gets that and and it's the same as me it's like when i'm when i'm when i'm running events and i'm offering people to come and, and, and you know work with me and stuff and things like that um people people want immediate results and i tell people i teach business i teach business marketing sales mindset and, and and I tell them business is a marathon; it's not a sprint. And and if you're looking for a get-rich-quick solution, I'm not your guy. I'm not that person because let, look, how many get-rich-quick schemes have you tried to, to try to use? Let me know how it's worked out for you, right? It doesn't. It, you know, success doesn't happen overnight. But mm-hmm. if you do this, the the right things consistently with the right guidance over a period of time, then it then it works out. But because we don't get immediate return, they go. I'll still go for the get-rich-quick thing, and it's mm-hmm. just it's just how people are. But this whole concept of giving. Um, first and, and pouring into others first. like People who get that become extremely wealthy in all areas of their lives. I genuinely believe that.
0: Wow, I love that. And how have you found with your clients, with your own businesses, obviously you're just h- coming out of the, the back of global pandemic, yeah. COVID's blindsided yeah. Yeah. everybody. Yes. Um, I've heard you say as well, a couple of your businesses were quite negatively impacted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how did you step up to lead and raise that vibration Mm. for your own community? I love
1: that, I love that question. Um, It's interesting, because when you're a leader, um, and and when I say leader, it depends on what, doesn't matter what level in life you're talking about, but when when you are like the owner or the CEO of your own organization, when you are the leader of your family or the main provider, or whatever you want to call it, um, there's a level of responsibility that comes Mm. with that. And yes, we went through a crisis, we went through this, we went through that, and it's not easy. And people around you, whether it's your employees, your team, your partner, your family, whatever, they're going to have a wobble. And if you wobble too, everyone's just going to wobble together, and nothing's going to get done. So uh, there's there's times to process your emotions as a leader. And I think when you're going through a pandemic and going through a stressful time, you've got to step up because everybody in your business or in your in your in your organisation, they've got a void in their in their life, and that's uncertainty right now. They're mm-hmm. feeling very uncertain about what's happening you need to up your level of certainty because they're missing that mm-hmm. that's what they want so as a leader if if they're uncertain and you're uncertain then come on like what's going to happen right so so yes i had to raise my own vibration mm-hmm. and have um, absolute faith that things were going to work out and uh, what does that mean i think a lot of people went through the challenging time of the pandemic hoping that it passes hoping that it works out hope for me is like wishing mm. Like hope is like, I, I hope it works out. No, you've got to have absolute faith that it's going to work out. And I did. I had to get into that mindset that, you know what? It's not going to last forever. I have absolute faith it's going to work out. Um, and so what I did instead was was really up my giving, up pouring into people, be, just, just being more present and visible. Like especially in my, 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 my training businesses, um, a lot of people in our circle just retracted like people who were doing courses, programs, mentoring, stuff like that, they just kind of said to their clients, "Look, look, we'll we'll stop running events, we'll stop doing this, we'll just come back after the pandemic and whatever." That's when your clients need you the most. Mm. So I went through a period of um, cancelling subscriptions, telling my clients, "Look, don't worry, you need the money right now. You need it for your cash flow." Pausing payments for people, um, giving them extensions on their programs, and, and and telling them, "Look, I'm 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 just a, just do one thing for me." I don't need your money right now, I need your presence. Don't leave me. Just just, look, he or she who decides to walk alone during this thing is gonna get crushed, right? I know you're having difficulty with money. I don't need your money. Look, keep your money, but just show up. And the people that showed up, they got the results. Guess what just happened? Every single person that I showed up for that I I gave a payment holiday to, that um, I extended their memberships for free, I gave them free coaching, free mentoring, free advice, just showed up on call after call after call after call after call. Do you know what's happened recently, Ellie? They've all come back to me and go, right, we've just come out of this. We're making money again, Jess, and we want to pay you. We want to do this. We want to carry on working. We want to we want to extend our membership with you. We want to carry on working. Where did that come from? Pouring into them. Wow. Just what I mean? But you can only do that if you've got an abundant mindset. You yeah. can't do that if you've got a scarcity mindset. It's not, again, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's, it's, it's like, like I, I, I always say to people, look, if you, if you can find a way to make other people's lives better, you'll never worry about yours ever again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Plain and simple. Like if you can find a way to make other people's lives better, you'll never have to worry about your own life.
0: How do you help your clients get that abundance mindset? Abundant mindset. Yeah,
1: good good, good question. It, it's um, it, persistence. <laughs> <laughs> by, by showing them, giving them examples, um, showing them how it is. And and not so much just working on the strategy of giving, but working on their belief system around giving, because it's it's mindset at the end of the day. It's what's going on in our head. It's like anybody can teach you strategy, but unless there's if there's something in your head stopping you from doing it, then you're not going to do that. So it, it's really getting people to to, to see the bigger picture, um, getting people to let go and understand that you're going to be okay no matter what happens. You you were actually going to be. I, I think everybody going through the pandemic who were panicking and worrying and stuff, a, a lot of people have come out the other side now and go, oh, what, did I, what, what did I do all that worrying for? I'm okay? You know, but that's the whole point. If if you can understand that everything's going to be okay in some way or form, it's going to be okay. Um, and, and if you obviously hang around the right people and you're around people who also are on that vibration on that frequency with you. Um, then, then it gets easier, but it's, it's only like, I always say to people, I can't want something more for you than you want it yourself. So I'm not here to convince you. I'm just telling you, look, have a little faith, just have a little faith. Those of you want to come along for the ride, come with me. For those of you who want to retract, that's your choice too. That's absolutely fine. I'm still here for you. I'm not closing the door, but I'm just letting you know we're gonna go for a bumpy ride. But it's better to go together than to go alone. And I think if you're just consistent with who you are, consistent with your message, consistent with showing up, and and be dependable. Like a lot of us are not dependable people. Like mm-hmm. like we like we say stuff, but we don't we don't do it. Like like you've got like you. You've, I often say to business owners as well. Like, would you employ yourself? Mm-hmm great question i asked business owners would you employ yourself and they're like well actually no i probably wouldn't because they don't do enough procrastinate or not they're not dependable they don't actually finish what they start so if you could be a dependable person people will want to be around you because they feel safe and and i think that's if you're a leader of a community if you can make your people feel safe they, they, you know, even if even if it's like you're going through the shit, if you can show them that it's going to be OK, they, they will believe that, too. And because, you, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on in your head. If you can just show them that that's what leaders do, they, they, they lead people. But if you're a leader and you're having a wobble, then like like how is that going to lead anyone? So it isn't easy. And I'm not saying that you should you know, numb out from your feelings as a, as a leader. What I'm saying is there's a, there's a time and place to process them. And that's not in front of the people who need you.
0: There's just so much power in that because if we were all to sit and list the attributes Mm. of a super leader, and then mark ourselves against those attributes. Yeah, yeah. It's quite an interesting process. Yeah, and yeah. I've actually done that. And, yeah, yeah. Then, and then I've went to war with myself to yeah. address good those issues. Love it. Love it. So Rich House Poor House. Yes. Wow, you came across so well. Thank How did you. you find the whole experience?
1: Yeah, it was it was interesting. I mean I mean for me, um, one of the things that I was very clear on when I when I was doing the show is that I didn't want to do it um, if they were gonna pair me up with a family who were just looking for a handout. Mm-hmm. And um, and in fact, obviously, with, with Rich House, Poor House, you're supposed to audition. You're supposed to audition. Even the rich family, you're supposed to audition and all that kind of stuff. And, and they audition technically. Um, so a good friend of mine, Stephen Green, who you yeah. know, um, was on the show. He, he actually uh, introduced me to them and said, look, you've got you've got to check this now. So they came to my house and pitched the idea to me. Um, and and yes, it was great exposure. And yes, it was fantastic. It would be a great opportunity. And, you know, I, you know, it, it's, it's awesome. But I, I was very clear that I, I I want to have impact if I'm doing it. I don't just want to work with all due respect, work, work with a family who's looking for a handout. So um, so it was a great experience. We was very, very clear on what, what I wanted out of it. Um, and we went away and we, we did the show. Um, it was challenging because it's like you know you, you, you you're, I'm sure you watched did you watch mm-hmm. it yeah I you, have so you watched it. watched it so so it's like like living on like 50 less than 50 55 quid or 53 quid or whatever it was for a week yeah. for the family and I'm thinking well, hang the petrol food everything comes out of this did I'm missing some money here have I dropped some what's going on and it, that was the actual amount and it was and it, it just it just opened my eyes to something that I was already passionate about and that's helping people you know right here on our own doorstep but it just opened my eyes a lot more because like and uh, i don't want to sound horrible when i say this but i donate a lot of money abroad I, I give a lot of money to charities abroad and stuff and things and i and i think we should all do our bit to, to help with world aid and stuff but there's shit going on in our own doorstep mm-hmm. like how do children still go to school hungry like mm-hmm. how do people still sleep on the streets in this country like how does that even Happen. It just opened my eyes even more to how much poverty is going on in the UK. Like, it, it, it was it was worrying. Like to to see that they they couldn't um, you know pay for the, pay for their bills and they couldn't provide. And uh, literally on the f- the first day I walked into their house, I, I, I cried. I literally I literally mm-hmm. cried because they they left a little note to say um, you know you know welcome and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. And sorry if the internet cuts out because we've not been able to afford our bill. And that that really hit me because I honestly I'd die if I if, if I couldn't provide for my kids I'd die. I'd literally mm-hmm. I couldn't I don't know what I'd do It'd break my heart I'd do whatever I can to support my children so so to be in a situation where you can't your kids need something or want something and you have to say no like I used to go into shops when I was little my mum like I, I saw the pain in her eyes I'd walk into a shop I'd say mommy I want that chocolate bar I want this and she was like be embarrassed almost and I'd put it back because so like, you couldn't afford it mm-hmm. And again, seeing that made me think well, when I get older, like I'm, that's never going to happen. Don't get me wrong. My kids are not spoiled. They don't just take whatever they want. Mm-hmm. It's, it's being privileged to be able to say yes to them when they deserve it and not say, sorry, son, daddy can't afford it. Because mm-hmm. now I'm teaching them that I can't afford it pattern. Now when mm-hmm. they get older, they're gonna start doing the whole, I can't afford it pattern. No, you can afford whatever you want in life. You just need to go out and make it happen. And and for me, seeing stuff like that going on, I was like, wow, how many families are living like this in the UK? It's shocking. Mm-hmm. So there's a big wealth divide, like right on our very doorstep and it's sad. So rather than just hand out money to people, How can we empower them to make it for themselves? How can we shift their mindset around making money? How can we Mm -hmm. help them see that they're not just another number and statistic and being on unemployment benefit and doing this and doing that? How can we empower people? Now don't get me wrong, not everybody wants to get unstuck, that's up to them. But for the people who do want better for their families, but they just don't have the opportunities, how can we create those opportunities? Mm -hmm. You know, So part of after the show, which we're launching now is is my foundation which is going to be specifically supporting uh poverty in the UK. Wow. Um, only in the UK. Um so so yes, you know, it's nice to send stuff abroad but we're looking at how can we not just provide for for families and kids um with help with schooling and foods and stuff and things like that but how can we teach the parents um better life skills? Yes. You know, um, specifically around, you know, their mindset, their you know, how to deal with stress, worry, anxiety, depression, um, how to help them understand money. How does money work? How can they access help? You know, because the, Jamie, the lady on the show who did help, like, like, she was so much debt, like 20 grand worth of debt. And it was just piling up and piling up. I gave her a few little simple tips. She wrote off most of it. Like, but do don't know that?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and I've been in debt so I know what it's like and it sucks and it's horrible like when someone knocks on you, your door like oh looking through the curtain should I open the door like it's horrible and like when you're worried about money it's hard to focus on anything else and and you wonder why these, this, this this pattern happens where now the kids grow up in that environment so what happens when those kids come adults they do exactly what their mum and dad were doing and then what do they do to their kids exactly the same thing it just goes on and on and on, and on. so we've got to break that pattern at a primary level not a tertiary one
0: God it's it's um just really heartwarming to hear what you've taken from that experience Mm. because I'm sure a lot of people go on just for a bit of a a PR exercise yeah absolutely nothing wrong with that because you've you've used this as a real sort of force to to do and and the lady in question you you actually um, helped her launch her cleaning business yeah put her through all your own business training you've got her set up how's that going for you yeah yeah
1: so we funded it so again all all during a pandemic so when we had a little window when we first came out of lockdown I got her down to London I got to attend my business school I funded all of that for her put her up put in a hotel fed her did everything um and sent her away I, and in, in the show she'll tell you but i i, I made it work for it um because i didn't want it to be a handout um I, you know she i think she got fed up of business plans afterwards because i was going back with business plans cash flow projections but because i said so look it's not a handout you've got to pitch it to me because not only did i did i say i'll train her i said i'll fund her business i'd mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd be her bank i'd fund it for her um but if you're going to treat me like the bank then i want to see a business plan i want to see a cash flow forecast i want to know where my money's going you know, not that I'm going to get it back because it's it's not a loan. It's me, a grant. I'm giving it to her. But if I, if you were borrowing money from a bank, what would they want to see? Mm-hmm. And um, so he went round and round until eventually we got it right. And um, we whittled it down, obviously, to a cleaning company, which we started um, during lockdown. And, you know, now she's in situations where she's going off and doing jobs that she's making more in one job in a few hours than she used to make an entire week busting her backside in Morrison's cafe. So it's like... Oh. What that's what's that done for her is it showed her what's possible, and now she's realised that I I have a new price tag on my head. I'd never go back down to here again, because I know I can earn this. Now the next stage is right. How can we now take that to another level? So now we're obviously coming out of the pandemic. We're looking at commercial contracts, end ten, the tenancy cleans, and you know, domestic stuff's good for cleaning businesses, but it, it's not as lucrative as doing some of the commercial stuff. You know, mm. so when I last saw her again. And um, she said, right, Jess, I'm, um, again, I, I'm not just handing her out stuff. She wanted to do carpet cleans. I said, well, have you got customers who want carpet cleans yet? Go and find out first. And then she went and built this list of people who w- actually wanted carpet cleans. And then I bought her a carpet cleaner, uh, industrial carpet cleaner. Then she went off and made some more bookings. So she's like, I don't know, 150 quid, 200 grand a pop doing, uh, carpet cleans and stuff is, again, it's not what she's used to. But now she's like, you know, she's, she's, you know, obviously, and it's, I'm not, I'm not going to dress it up. It, it's not, Uh, amazing because she's just started and we started during a crisis for god's sake like it's just you know it's 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 still getting there but she's in a much better place now because she can say she's she's got her own business um she she can you know she can work the hours that she wants to work she's got the the ability to go out there and make money if she wants to and she's got a new skill for life now now she's buying stuff for her kids that she couldn't yeah couldn't do before She's taken them swimming lessons she's doing cousins like all of these things that she couldn't dream of doing before you know, and it might seem small and insignificant to you and I, where we might go out for lunch with our kids and just spunk 50 quid on a couple of sandwiches or something silly like that. But for, for her, these are big, big steps. Yeah. And, and all, I'm, all I'm saying is, is that for us to create new beliefs, we must create new experiences. She now has a new belief in herself because she's experienced um, making money on a different level. Mm-hmm. And that's all it is. Like, if you want to create new beliefs in life, you have just got to create a new experience. And now, now she's got that experience; she she won't go back there. And mm. That's the whole point. She can only ever move forwards from there. So, so yeah, it's, it was it was really nice. It was really nice to be able to do that show and have that kind of impact.
0: And in terms of the impact on your own life as well, one of the things you mentioned here is just you know going out and splashing out with the mm. kids without a second thought, really, yeah. which, which most of us do. But Obviously, you couldn't do that during the show. You were getting stuck in with the kids making <laughs> yeah. cooking a bit more experiential. Yeah, Is that yeah. something that you've carried forward?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, well, we had to during lockdown as well, right? Yeah. We, 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 actually wanted to spend money and we couldn't. Um, so it's like we, we had to get resourceful and, and start doing some other things and, and spending more time. And, and it's, it's little things, Ellie. It's not just it's not just about with the kids. It's like, I, I, I am like the worst shopper ever. Like, don't send me to the shop for a pint of milk because I'll come back with a bag full of stuff I didn't bloody need. Right. So it's like, but it, but now I'm being a bit more mindful. I'm like, well, why? Those are same. They're both the same products. Um, they're both good quality. That one's slightly less. Why do I just automatically go for the most expensive one? It's just little things, just just tiny things that and it's not about the money. It's like, well, what else can I do with that money instead? If I say a pound here, save two pounds here, three pounds here, I can give that to the guy outside in the street who hasn't eaten. Do you see what I mean? That, that's, that's how it shifted my thinking. It's just being more mindful that, um, we, we waste a lot. And and I think we, if we're just a bit more mindful about, stuff, I'm not talking about being frugal and not spending. I'm, I, I spend abundantly, but can I be wiser about it? Can I be smarter about it? Can I can I repurpose that money instead of giving it to the bloody supermarket? You know, that's the way I look at it. So it has, it's had a massive impact on me in that sense, from a financial perspective. Um, it really helped me up my level of wanting to help. Yeah. Um I, I started a, a private Facebook group during a, just not long after the show during lockdown because I thought, well, you know, people are going to suffer with their mental health. So I, I launched a private Facebook group for, for people to just turn up uh, and get free advice from me. And like since March 2020 um, in lockdown, uh, I've gone live in that group every single day, every day. Every morning, 9.30 a.m., I go live in that group, giving them 10, 15 minutes of inspiration, motivation. Um, every day, without fail, I've been live in that group since then. And uh, it's just grown. And um, it's just just the, the stories that have come out of that group of people who sadly wanted to end their life and not doing it now. Um, they were feeling depressed. They're feeling up again. Uh, people who didn't have no money making money now. Uh, people who were, were, you know, wanted to start a business have started their own business. People who wanted to get a promotion started a promotion. People who were in abusive relationships who've now left because of my words. And like the, the the messages I get every day, that's what makes it worth it. That's what I don't need a penny. That's what makes it worth it. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the name of the podcast on a mission. Yes, certainly a man. on mission. <laughs> what does the future hold for you, Jason? Do
1: you know that's that's interesting? This is, um, um, I I have a mission. Uh, to impact a billion lives that's that's my mission and people talk about billionaire status I want to impact a billion lives that will make me a billionaire mm-hmm. for me um so so it's it's and I know I can't do it alone so so the mission is 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 how can I pour into other people so that we create a big ripple effect. Mm-hmm. And so it, my whole focus now, yeah, business, great. Like I could sit here and talk to you about all my business plans and what I'm doing and finances and projections and all this kind of thing. But yeah, that's great. Th- those are transactional things. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, my sole focus right now is like, how can I make this world a better place? How can I pour into other people? How can I empower other people? How can I help people to think bigger, to, to, to believe in themselves more so that if we can all think like that, that's only going to cause a ripple effect. So if we can just lift each other up, I know I can't do it on my own, but if I make it my mission to, to add some gold dust into every single person's life that I meet, hopefully if I can make their life a little bit better, they'll just do me the favor of pouring that into someone else and someone else and someone else. And that's how we have impacted billion lives.
0: Wow, what a way to draw close <laughs> to this interview! I could talk to you all day, but i to be
1: respectful
0: of your time. You've been no, that's fine. Absolutely I've loved it. phenomenal! Thank you so much. Where Pleasure. can the listeners find you, Jesson?
1: Wow. Okay. Well, look if you if you want to get in touch with me or, or follow me or just uh, if you go to flow dot page uh, forward slash jason james, just flow dot page forward slash Jess and james, you'll see all my social media handles on there. So just connect me on Instagram wherever. Um, just just follow me. it will be great. You know. If you, if you want to connect, if you've got any questions or anything like that, feel free to ask me. But, uh, but it's not about me. It's about you <laughs> um, and this incredible podcast. Thank you for having me on it. I love the title, On A Mission. You're definitely on a mission as well. So I feel very honoured to be here. So thank you for having me.
0: It's been epic. Thank you so much.
1: Pleasure. Cheers. That's it for today. And thank you for listening to On A Mission with Ellie Mackay. If you've enjoyed today's content, please hit the like and subscribe button and share it with anyone you feel would benefit from hearing it.